Let us turn now to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll read verses 1 through 16. Verses 1 through 6 was our text this morning. We'll read that again to create the context. And our text starts at verse 7. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And here starts our text. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, that is Christ, from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. After the sermon, let's sing together hymn 8, stanzas 1 and 14. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in this morning's sermon on Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6, we learned about the unity of the Spirit. The unity of the Spirit, which is in the, in the Church of Jesus Christ, and how it is our calling and our duty to maintain and to build on that unity. That's not a small matter. You can't just give lip service to unity within the church of Jesus Christ. It's a matter of life and death. It's a matter of your salvation. It's a matter about the person who's sitting beside you. Is he going to heaven or to hell? Unity in the church can make it or break it. Therefore, it's very important that we as congregation make every effort under the grace of God to keep and to, to make that unity of the Spirit grow in the bond of peace. It's to the glory of God and our salvation. Now, our text this afternoon picks up on that. Paul is continuing that discussion of unity in the church. But what he's focusing on now is how Christ 
equips you. What he gives you so that you are enabled to work for the unity of the church and we may all grow up into the fullness of the measure of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul starts by saying in verse 7, but to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Almost every commentator says, if you really want to understand what Paul says here, you should look at his expanded version in 1 Corinthians 12. That's where Paul describes it in a much more full fashion. He said there, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them and all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Point being that the Holy Spirit gives every believer special gifts. What Paul calls in Ephesians for grace. The Spirit gives you grace. The Spirit gives every one of you a special gift. And we're all different. One person has the ability to teach. One person has the ability to listen. They're very good at visiting lonely people, people in trouble, and listening to their story in a sympathetic fashion to build them up. Some people have the gift to go after someone who is is going astray in a loving fashion, call them to repentance. Now the Holy Spirit builds the congregation in such a way, giving all of you a special gift. And if you will all take your gift and bring it to the table, bring it into the congregation, we will have everything we need so that everyone can flourish. But if a couple of you have a gift and you don't use it and you don't share it with the congregation, we will be incomplete. It will be like having a jigsaw puzzle with several pieces missing and you know how incomplete and frustrating that is. Bring what you have into the church to each other, and we will be united, and we will grow in our faith and in the joy of salvation. Now, not everybody likes that message. One person in particular, he hates it. Hates talking about unity, and that is the devil. It sickens him to his stomach to hear of a church where there's unity, where people maintain the bond of peace, the unity of the Holy Spirit. For him, it is a matter of divide and conquer. Divide a congregation, break it up a little bit, get loose pieces here and there, and he can take a few pieces away and draw them into hell. A united church is a nightmare for him. A broken church is a bloody feast. Now, if there's one person I'd I'd really like to beat up in my life, is the devil. He's had enough punches at me. He's taken me down. He'll take me down again. But I would like, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to stand up to him, to beat him at his own game, to take the blessings that Christ has given to me and bring it into the congregation for the well-being of everyone. And I'm sure you'd like to beat him too. Let's listen to what the Word of God says to us in our text under this theme. The ascended Christ gives his body a pastor and teacher. And we'll see that the body of Christ may be built up, and that the body grows up into Christ. Now at the beginning of our text, Paul makes a remarkable reference to Psalm 68. When he writes, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train 
and gave gifts to men. He explains that by saying, what does he ascended mean, but except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It sounds like kind of a, a difficult sentence. It's very simple. What Paul is saying is that the Son of God descended to this world in order to save people, and then he ascended back into heaven to receive all power and authority in heaven and on earth. The Son of God descended, and he became a man. He took our sins upon himself, and he broke our chains. He broke us out of our prison because we used to be a captive of Satan. He held us. He imprisoned us. He beat us up, left, right, and center, mopped us all over the floor as we sinned more and more. But Christ shattered that chain. He washed us in his blood and spirit, and he took us as captives into heaven. To be a captive of Jesus Christ is breathtaking freedom. To belong to him, to be a slave of Jesus, means also to be the bride of Christ and the children of God who are able to live to his praise and his glory. Now the point is, Jesus came down to save us. He ascended up into heaven. He's ruling this world. He, he gathers, defends, and preserves us. But how do we ma maintain the momentum? How do we keep surging forward, belonging to Jesus? Well, that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about in our text this afternoon, how to maintain the momentum, how to stay strong, how to belong to our Lord Jesus Christ. The ascended Christ poured out gifts on his church. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service, and so he continues on. Reminds us of what we heard in 1 Corinthians 12. In the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Now, in both passages, it's not Paul's intention to give an exhaustive list of office bearers. For instance, in neither passage does he mention elders and deacons, although in later epistles he certainly does mention them. So in this non-exhaustive list, Paul says the ascended Christ, looking down at his church, being very concerned that you don't get back into the captivity of Satan, gave you office bearers. But look at the list he gives us. Most of them are extinct. He mentions the, the office of apostle. There are only 13 apostles. Paul being the, the 13th apostle who actually met his Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. To be an apostle, you have to see Jesus literally. You have to be an eyewitness. And they relate to the church who Jesus Christ was and what he did in this world. But by the end of the first century, apostles are gone. No more. Although we have their apostolic witness in the New Testament Bible. Same with prophets, all gone. And evangelists, Philip was an evangelist. These men could, could even do miracles, they could preach, but no more evangelists, not in the New Testament sense. The striking thing about all those men, apostles, New Testament prophets, and evangelists, they were what you would call itinerant. Men on the move. They were never located in one place. 
This is the early church of Pentecost. Things weren't established. They moved here and there and everywhere to establish the church. But by the end of the first century, as the church was being established, these special offices on the move, they became extinct. And the offices that remained are those that are linked to the local congregation. In the local congregation, Jesus Christ gives special gifts to be a blessing to the congregation, to keep us united and on the right track. And what Paul mentions here are pastors and teachers. Now, it sounds like he's talking about two offices, but in the original Greek, it, it really seems like he's talking about one office which has two characteristics to it. In fact, we read in 1 Timothy 5 or 7 that Paul writes, The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those working in preaching and teaching. So Paul says there are elders in the church, and you saw your elders walking in here at the beginning of the service. They will make home visits to you. There's also a special elder known as the teaching elder or a pastor, and that is the minister of the congregation. Again, we don't have an exhaustive list here. Later on, Paul would also make clear that with the minister of the word, there are elders and there are deacons, and these men are given to the church to be a blessing. That you grow in the faith, that you are united, and that you grow up from infancy up into a maturity, into the Lord Jesus Christ himself. But our focus right now, this afternoon, is on the office of pastor and teacher. That's a minister of the word. You have one, Reverend W.B. Slump. Reverend Slump is the gift of the ascended Christ to the Emmanuel Canadian Reformed Church to enable you to be united, to be strong, and to walk in the ways of the Lord. You can describe his office in two ways. In the first place, he is a, a teacher. Now, ministers of the word in our churches are well-trained. They go to the university, they go to theological college so that they can read the Bible in the original languages and interpret it and teach it to the congregation. Now, it's not like Bible study. It's not like reading Bible in your own home. There's a special training to take the Word of God and lay it on your heart. That's a very special gift and a special talent. Something that was really driven home to me during these last number of weeks when I was in China, teaching in different places to Chinese Christians who were in underground churches, One of the greatest surprises in in both my trips to China was what a passion people have there for the Word of God and how well they know their Bible already. In one place, close to the Russian border, very remote agricultural area, I was teaching the minor prophets and it came to Habakkuk 2 verse 4. The righteous will live by faith. I said, who knows where that's quoted in the New Testament. Few hands came up. Romans 1, verses 16 and 17. That that was great. Could you do that? I said, okay, that's the easy one. Now, where else is it mentioned in the New Testament? lady put up her hand, and she said, Hebrews 10, verses 37 and 38. And Reverend Dong, who's translating, turns to me with saucer-like eyes, and he says, I didn't know that. I said, and I wouldn't have known it either, except I've been studying this stuff. I thought, she's got a cross-reference. I said to Reverend Dong, ask her, has she got a cross-reference in her Bible that she's 
pick that out from Habakkuk 2 verse 4. And she says, no, she just knew it. They know their Bibles inside out in Christians in China. But you know what? They know their Bible, but they don't really understand how to put it together. They don't understand how, let's say, Genesis 3, verse 15 and 16, where it talks about the seed of the woman, how that's all fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and ultimately points to the new Jerusalem. And that's what they want us there for. And that's what ministers, that's what teachers do. They don't just teach you the facts of the Bible. They take that Bible and all its parts and show how it connects together that you get this amazing insight into a God who created this world, who redeemed us in Jesus Christ, caused us to be born again by the Holy Spirit that we can live in a meaningful way to the praise and glory of God. That's also where the the work of pastor comes in. Pastor literally means a shepherd. And Jesus Christ He's the good shepherd. That's the amazing thing about Jesus. He knows you. And he understands you. He knows exactly what you're going through in your personal walk of life. And that's what a minister needs to be as, as a pastor. He understands his people. He knows his flock. He knows your struggles, your weaknesses, your challenges, your, your, your gifts, which you can use to the glory of God and the, the edification of the world around us. Because he knows you. Because he knows what your week has been like. And he knows what, what's going on in your life. He's able to take that teaching and apply it in such a way that you are edified, you're challenged, you're rebuked, admonished, exhorted, and, and, and equipped to live to the, to the glory of God. A minister is not an armchair philosopher. He's not just a, a theologian. A minister is a very special gift of the ascended Christ to the church to take the Bible and relate it to your life. That when you come out of church, you say, I'm different from when I came in. I have been corrected. I have been reproved. I've been guided. I can go forth and give my life to the glory of God. Paul states what the goal or purpose of this gift of pastor and teacher is in verses 12 and 13. To prepare God's people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now there's something very unique about that sentence and it's really easy to overlook because there's so much beautiful stuff here. Paul says that it is not the minister's task to equip the saints, or it's not the minister's task to build up the body of Christ. It says he is to prepare God's people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up. So what the minister does is he trains the congregation so that all of you are now equipped to build up the body. He equips you for the office of all believers, to be prophets, priests, and kings, that you are the ones who are building each other up to live in the joy of salvation and to the glory of God. A really small example here, just and we'll pick up on that again later on in our sermon. Imagine that our, not imagine, hopefully this is true, that our young people who are, are listening to the Word of God Sunday after Sunday understand very well that as a Christian, as someone who is committed to Jesus Christ, they have a calling and a task to take care of each other. 
You could call that the rule of Matthew 18, fine. But as a 17-year-old or an 18-year-old, you are not allowed to look at other young people and say, when you're in trouble, you're on your own. Or I hope maybe the minister or the elders figure this out. Our young people, when they are thoroughly equipped by the Word of God, when they see problems in their own midst, let's say problems with alcohol or drugs or sexual immorality, they're on it. They deal with it. You might not even know about it as adults because they love each other, they care for each other. They are the ones who are helping each other to be the body of Jesus Christ and to walk in the ways of the Lord. So the minister doesn't build up the congregation all by himself. The minister is not who takes every person and puts us all together that we are all strong and he does all the work. He teaches you. He teaches you in whatever situation you are, whatever struggles you have, whatever gifts he has. He says, you know, you got that gift and you got that gift and that person has a struggle. Put it all together and you help each other be the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing that in the church of Jesus Christ, the work that needs to be done there is not the work of a few. It's not the work of the minister. It's not the, the, the work of some highly talented men or women. We like talented people, don't we? We all really like that man or that woman who is so outstanding within the congregation. What they all do, we appreciate that, but they're not nearly enough. You're all needed. Whoever you are, you are being equipped by the Word of God to be mature, to be full, to be able to to help yourself and help each other be all that you should be in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Paul says, in this way we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The image that Paul has here is of a robust, healthy Physically strong man. You know, Paul likes that image. You know, the boxer, the runner, the athlete, you know, able to run with perseverance, the race that is set before us. You know, he he pictures a, a Christian as an athlete, a man strong and muscular with stamina. And that's what it is to be a Christian, filled with the Spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ, mature, equipped, ready to live our lives to the praise and the glory of our God. That we grow up into Christ. That we are one with Him. That we are the man or the woman, the boy or girl that our Lord Jesus Christ came to save and to use to the glory of His own name. Now none of us can do this perfectly. We all have our sins and shortcomings and that's, as a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul would say of himself in Romans 7, even when I want to do what's good, I invariably do what's wrong. He called himself the foremost of all sinners. And I'll tell you something, brothers and sisters, when I preached this morning's sermon and this afternoon's sermon, the same two sermons in Providence last week, I don't in any way want to give you the impression they say, you've got to be like me, because this, these sermons shame me, and they hurt me, because I understand how, fall I, how far I fall short. And that's why we also need to hear again and again that in the blood of Jesus there is forgiveness. A real pastor 
and a real teacher who guides his congregation and builds the congregation up with the word of God also shows again and again when you have fallen and come up short, come to the Lord Jesus. He will wash you clean and then enable you to rise again and fight against the devil and live to the praise and the glory of God. That brings us to our, our second and final point. And that's the verses 14 through 16. It sounds like a bit of a repetition of the first part of our text. And there are similarities, but the difference here is something we've already referred to, how when we are all being built up by the Word of God to a spiritual maturity, then we're also equipped to fight the evil one. We who have fallen can rise. You can look the devil in the face, and you can beat him. You can be a captive of Jesus Christ, rather than a, a captive of Satan. Paul writes in verse 14, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. So, so Paul was just talking about that robust, healthy, physical, athletic man. Now let's talk about an infant and the threat of being tossed about by the waves, by the gales. Now Paul knew the sea. He had been shipwrecked. Imagine if today you had a satellite image of the Mediterranean Sea looking down at a violent gale. There was a man on a boat, but he was physically strong. You would say, maybe you got a chance. You're strong. You're healthy. Ride out the storm. Make it to shore. If your boat breaks up, swim. But what if you look in that boat and there's a baby? There's an infant being tossed and smashed in every direction by the waves and the wind because the baby's going to die. Can't ride out the storm and if that boat breaks up, it's going to sink and it's going to drown. See, what the Apostle Paul is saying is, you know, we're all in a state of growth. You start as an infant, you grow up to be a strong, healthy adult. But the life of a Christian is a journey. You start as a baby, you grow up to maturity. But you've got to grow. And we're not just talking physical growth here, we're talking spiritual growth. That you personally, in your journey, your spiritual journey, you are growing from milk to solid food. You in your own heart, you know the joy of Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. And that in that, you receive the strength to fight against Satan and give your life to the praise and the glory of God. That you are not smashed back and forth by every wind of doctrine and every heresy and every temptation, but by the grace of God, you ride the storm. Sometimes the boat breaks up. Sometimes you go below the waves. But through the Spirit, you are strong enough to come up, sputtering and spitting, but ready to swim again and give your life to God's glory. It's quite a storm out there, brothers and sisters. It's quite an attack by the evil one, by the devil, and the whole unbelieving world. You know how Revelation 12 describes the devil as a great red dragon with the beast from the sea and the dry land. It's a very poetic, symbolic description of a devil who was working through the media and the culture, the entertainment system, the education, secular education system of this country, working to reach into your mind to pull you away from Jesus Christ. 
to fall in love with the things of this world. He's attacking from every quarter. Now, quite often in the church and in the sermon, when we come to this point, we turn to the young people again. We say young people are under constant attack and they often fall because after all, it's, it's a world of drugs and alcohol, sexual immorality, love with the, the things of this world, the entertainment, the type of music that's being listened to. And sure, they are, are under constant attack. No two ways about it. Let's not always look at the young people. Let's look at the adults, the middle-aged, the elderly. There's a saying that there's no fool like an old fool. And there's no sinner like an old sinner. Don't just look at the 15-year-old or the 17-year-old. But what about the 35, 55, 75, 85? We have our temptations too. Addictions to alcohol, to prescription drugs, to pornography, to pride, spirit of bitterness. We're all under attack by the evil one. Sometimes an elderly person looks as vulnerable as a babe in a boat on a violent sea. How we need to, to grow up, to be strong, to fight against sin in our life. Instead of going back into the captivity of Satan, we're captives, glorious captives of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then to sum again, brothers and sisters, our Lord Jesus Christ has given us gifts to see to it that we grow up and we're able to withstand the attacks of the evil one. And as we pointed out already, the first gift is the gift of a pastor and teacher. And Sunday after Sunday, we have the proclamation of God's word. And that proclamation of God's word doesn't simply say, well, this is exactly what the text means. No, what does it mean for me? How does that apply to my life? How does it help me with my temptations? And I hope you have that. And I think you do. In fact, I'm, I'm sure you do. And do you ever get this, that after a sermon you, you say, did the minister know what I was doing this past week? Ever have that? You say, it looked like he's been following me all week because I've, I've been up to something, you know. I didn't think anybody knew because most of it was just in my head. A lot can go on just in your head and just your heart. Nobody sees it. And man alive, you get a sermon that Sunday that exactly exposes the evil, the hurt that's going on in your own heart, in your own mind, and it shakes you up. You say, I've got to break with this sin. I've got to get on my knees before the Lord Jesus to be washed in his blood, renewed by his spirit. I can change because I can't go on like this. I'm just going to get right back into the hands of the devil. But that's not all we have. Not only do we have the proclamation of the word, but we have a united congregation where everyone is bringing his or her gifts to ensure that we all grow and that we become mature and grow up to the fullness of the stature of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw in verse 7, to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. You all have grace as Christ dealt it out to you. And then Paul adds in verses 15 and 16, speak the truth in love. We will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ, 
From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I already referred to that this morning. We saw in, in incredible detail how Paul described that in 1 Corinthians 12. We're all a part of the body. And we all have a special gift. It doesn't matter who you are. You know, one person might be the neck. And you say, neck is really important. You know, it keeps the head and the body together. But you're an ankle. And over there we've got a knee and a hip and an intestine. Oh man, we've got all kinds of parts. Some seem really important. Hey, my chest is important. I can live without my ankle. Not in the perfect body, you can't. We need every part. Whether you're a neck, or an arm, or a hip, or a thigh, or an ankle, or a toe, each part of the congregation has a very special gift of the Holy Spirit. And if we are able and willing to take those gifts to the congregation we will be a blessing. As we mentioned in our introduction, some of you are natural-born teachers. Some are really good listeners. Some know how to sit with a widow and genuinely sympathize. And you know, when you sit with a widow and she says, I'm so incredibly lonely, you cannot give an answer to that. You cannot glibly say, oh, well, the Lord is with you. Just listen and sympathize. Try to understand a little bit. It gives her strength and courage and the ability to go on. But when Paul speaks here, particularly about speak the truth in love and grow and build, the church will build and grow and build itself up in love, what he's also referring to here is basically what you would call church discipline. In a congregation, where we have gifts and we are filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit, what do you do when you see someone drifting away? Uh, drifting, could, drifting away could be that on a particular Sunday you see that someone's absent for a service or two services and it happens a Sunday after that and a Sunday after. You say, we've got a problem. Or you know someone has perhaps got a, an addiction to alcohol or drugs. You've you got a friend who's into pornography. That's there, you know. It's in our congregation. We have no idea how much, but it might be more than we can ever imagine or dream of. But it may also be that you see brothers or sisters who are slacking off in their work, in their marriage, in their family life, who simply aren't using the blessings that they have to build up their marriage, build up their children, build up themselves to the praise and the glory of God. But if you are filled with the love of Jesus Christ, and you have that ability to talk to that person in a loving way, you you can't go there with pride. You can't go and say, I'm better than you, or you are some rotten individual the way you treat your wife. But if in a loving manner you can go to somebody and say, I just care. I'm not better than you, but I would like to talk to you about this. And that we can reach out to members in the congregation who are stumbling, who are falling, who are in trouble, and in love reach out to every person and draw people back and allow them to grow in their relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. 
we will have a congregation so united, so strong, that the devil can shoot at us all he wants. He won't hit us very hard. And we will grow up into the fullness of the stature of our Lord Jesus Christ to be his body, to be his bride, living to his praise and to his glory, anticipating a day that he will return for us. It will be a better world, a world without the devil, a world of peace and of love and of people doing everything together to the praise and the glory of God. Amen.